The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Let's get to our guest now, Adrian Zerka, CIO and Head of Global Asset Allocation at UBS Global Wealth Management with us in Hong Kong. So we're looking very closely and we ask this question pretty much daily on Bloomberg, whether or not China is investable. You're saying it looks like a value trap at the moment. Tell us your thoughts here. Yeah, thank you for, for having me. Well, I think China looks very cheap, of course, versus its peer on history. Uh, but there's a couple of issues uh, that we face, of course. Uh, <clears throat> first of all, it's a value trap because COVID makes it so difficult for earnings to recover. Uh, it makes it also very difficult to put a, a tag basically behind the fair value part. So the COVID restrictions with zero policy are probably staying with us. A lot of people are betting basically after the, the Congress, National Congress, which starts on October 16, that things are improving. We actually view that uh, the government has really boxed themselves into a corner and will make it very difficult to get out of it. And it probably will be only after the reshuffling of the political uh, establishment, which will only end in March next year. And that's a real drag for, for the economy. And on top of that, we have this big elephant in the room, which is the housing market. It's so important. It's 50% of household wealth, uh, one third of local government revenues, and it's 25% of the of GDP. And this is still not fixed. And therefore, it will take longer to unlock some of this value we see. Yeah, absolutely. Great point, because uh, moving away from COVID zero doesn't fix those problems. When it comes to what we're seeing in the currency market, I mean, we talk so much about seven potentially being a line in the sand. What are you seeing in terms of these very kind of quite aggressive moves by the PBOC to try and stem the yuan weakness? Yeah, we have seen the triple R cuts uh, by 200 basis points has been cut, injected more liquidity. Uh, of course, it also means that banks have to hold less FX reserves as the PBOC, and that should basically help to stabilize the CNY. But the, the main issue is that the US and the West are hiking. Uh, the PBOC is in the easing mode. And the, the seven is a psychological number. Um, it's very important, of course, going into some political events in, in China. But it's unlikely, actually, that it will hold. And so we actually think it will break. It will break above it. Um, <clears throat> we don't see a, a huge uh, um, sort of sell-off in the CNY, but just the fundamentals are weak. And therefore, the PBOC will probably be forced to let the C CNY depreciate even further. Um, and, and yeah, we would basically hedge the CNY currently in our portfolios. And if they do allow it to depreciate further, which of course would be rule about the move in the dollar, do you see further cuts to that FX reserve ratio again before the end of the year? 
Uh, absolutely. Uh, I think there will be more triple R cuts coming through. Um, the PBOC will probably also be reluctant to to cut um, other benchmark rates um, because of that. They will probably try to inject more loans into the system to support the economy. But it really puts the PBOC in a very difficult spot because we haven't really seen that they are going full after the economy and try to stage this rebound with um, support measures because mm. they're so worried about, about the CNY. So looking at potential opportunities in China markets and a Bloomberg Big Take report today has shown that assets in China's ESG funds have doubled since 2021 as we continue to see policies really support renewable power and energy security. Is this a sector that you would be looking at ahead of and of course post the party congress? Well, absolutely. So we try to align within China our portfolios really to the policy measures and the strategic important measures that actually China wants to take. So EV cars, renewable energy, these are really key for for China and, and do think that there's more uh, value actually to 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 extract out of the the equity market. Some of these companies really have suffered over the last couple of months. We actually see that EV sales have now started to rebound um, despite the macro headwinds. We see more support measures coming through, stimulus coming through in this area. Solar is another uh, important topic, and we actually do think the whole sustainability aspect also makes it interesting from a global uh, perspective to invest into China. What about uh, when it comes to the tech space? I mean, you mentioned earlier you're cautious on the real estate sector, but we are seeing, uh, I guess, some more focus of reports that uh, President Xi has called for a stronger effort to, to advance a lot of the key tech players in the country. This is a sector that's been hit hard, as we know, by regulation. Do you stay away or are you selective here? Very, very selective. I think there are some uh, key strategic important uh, also uh, policy measures there, particularly when it comes to the chip industry. But unfortunately, it's still uh, quite behind the global chip manufacturer uh, in, out of the US and, and Taiwan. And it's very difficult to invest in the whole digital economy, particularly the, the big names, the heavyweights in the index. The earnings season was actually quite good in the second quarter, but there's still these regulatory headwinds. You're still relatively conservative about the whole gaming industry, particularly in China, because uh, there's still policy measures which are basically holding back uh, the whole industry and it makes it difficult for companies to achieve a decent earnings growth. One area we, we start to like a bit more is e-commerce sector. Uh, I actually do think that um, <clears throat> with also the lockdowns that people still shifting more to e-commerce and some of these companies have uh, de-rated de quite a lot. So you can start to cherry pick in these areas, but it's definitely we're still far away from broad-based buying into tech at this point. Okay, let's talk more broadly about the, the Asia-Pacific and, and when we could see inflation peak here in Asia. Every sort of central bank is, is on a little bit of a different cycle in terms of the fact that uh, some of the more developing nations are a little bit behind the pack. Where do you see, I guess, inflation peak in Asia? We're obviously going to follow the West, but what more sort of central bank action are you expecting? Yeah, that's a that's an interesting question. Uh, first of all, we we of course expect that inflation has peaked in the West and probably continue to decelerate, and maybe more visible decelerate over the next uh, couple of months, uh, particularly in the fourth quarter. And in Asia, we haven't really seen this peak coming through. Um, we are commodity importer, of course, and commodity is really the the key driver of this inflation. But we also haven't seen 
the, the, the very strong numbers uh, like in the West. So it's elevated level, but we are not in, in, in the same area. Um, we actually do think Korea and Singapore are really well ahead of the pack. Uh, they have hiked uh, quite aggressively, also more in line with the West. Um, when we look at Malaysia, Philippines or in India, they're probably halfway down. And Indonesia and Thailand, they definitely have a longer way to go. They, they need to stabilize all the currency. Uh, and um, I think it's important also for the uh, balance of, of payment. And just a quick final question, yen at 143, when or does the Bank of Japan finally intervene here? Good question. We are still cautious on the yen, but I would say if, if you have a bit of a longer term view, uh, we see we see value there. It's definitely way too, too cheap and the BOJ eventually will have to start to hike interest rates. Um, mm. So we're probably not too far away from, from the low. All right. Always a pleasure, Adrian. Thank you. Adrian Zerka, CIO and Head of Global Asset Allocation at UBS Global Wealth Management on the line from Hong Kong for us here. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.